Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Join one of the Adelaide 36ers' favourite sons as we deep dive into everything past and present about one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. It's Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. I'm your co-host Chris Pike, but the man you're all here to listen to and the man whose opinions will be fascinating to hear this this week because the way the Adelaide 36ers are travelling at the moment in the NBL is pretty exciting, so they're giving us plenty to talk about here on the show. Scott Ninnis, thanks for joining me once again. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Always, uh, always great to have a chat and uh, catch up with all things NBL. Now, before we get on to the way the current team is travelling, we've got a very special guest this week, somebody who's used to success in Adelaide. He's been part of part of, part of of plenty of championships, part of part of plenty of records. I think he's 262 games and three championships with the 36ers, which is pretty much half of the whole NBL career that he, he put together. But Paul Reese is somebody that you spend a lot of time with still. You did spend a lot of time with during your career and looking forward to catching up with him this week. Now, I don't want to talk him up too much, uh, Chris, because in <laughs> 1994, when the North Melbourne Giants beat the Adelaide 36ers, Paul Reese of all people, was MVP of that final mm. series, a final series that we were absolutely convinced that we were going to win. And uh, the big fella ends up you know, in, a, in a team that had, you know, Darren McDonald, obviously, Larry Sengstock, Mark Leader, Daryl Pierce, Rod Johnson, uh, some great players. The big fella ends up uh, being MVP <laughs> and has never, ever let us forget it, ever. Uh, well, it's going to be fascinating to hear from him. Fascinating to also hear that you th- you're you convinced that you were favourites heading into that grand final series. I think when we hear from him later on, he might differ from the, from that. Uh, and it was it was really interesting. I mean, we had uh, you know Robert Rose, who was uh, coming off an MVP uh, season the year before with the South East Melbourne Magic, uh, was probably still the best player in the competition. We had Mark Davis, who was still with the absolute top of his game, and we had uh, you know five or six players who were either in the Boomers team or extended squad. I mean, mm. you know, Phil Smythe and, and Mike Mackay uh, made the made the 1994 championship team. Uh, myself, Brett Maher, uh, Chris Blankmore and Mike Mackay. Oh, sorry, Mike Mackay made the team that year as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had a team full of Boomers and, and great imports. So we, we were flying. Well, we thought we were absolute the bee's knees. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, that, that whole thing about... You know, team of champions, being a champion team, like yeah. that. That whole thing came to roost that year. They had players that played the role. We had they had a guy in DMAC that brought it all together, a great coach in Brett Brown. We, uh, you know, we probably got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, really bad injury to Mark Davis in the semi-finals mm. versus the Melbourne Tigers that that really hurt. But um, yeah, they they deserve the championship that year. Well, more about that later when we catch up with Paul Reese, but. Right now, let's have a look at the way the 36ers are travelling at the moment because they're in some terrific form, obviously coming off a really good win in Perth. It's a tough place to, to go and play over in Perth. And really, in the end, an 11-point victory, it should have been a lot more. That that scoreline of 99-88 to 88 flatters the Wildcats. The, the Sixers were up by 27 points at one point, and it was a fantastic performance on the back of a really solid win against the New Zealand Breakers at home just before that. The week before, it was, a, it was a loss to the Bullets, but probably a game where they didn't play that badly and probably should have won. And then before that was the big win on the road to the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So winning three of the last four, playing some terrific basketball, putting up a lot of points, I think you'd have to be happy with the way the team's going right now. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and I think Joe Wright needs a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, deserves a lot of the credit. You know, he's 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 uh, flipped up the starting lineups a little bit. Um, you know, they, they've had some pretty serious talks about, you know, where they're going as a team. And, and to win three and four, you know, and, and to beat Perth in Perth, which, as we all know, is, uh, you know, is, it just probably the hardest thing to do in basketball mm-hmm. certainly over over the last number of years is uh, is terrific and uh, you, you know you're getting great contributions for everyone you've got you know some people playing really good roles um, you know Griffin and Moore coming off the bench are, are playing great basketball I think it's really important I, I, but the problem I guess is at six and six now you don't have a lot of margin for error they're uh, you know, when you know Sydney are going to make the playoffs, you know Melbourne United are going to make the playoffs. The Wildcats always make mm. the playoffs, so you can never write them off. So to me, that leaves one position, and yeah. uh, I think the 36ers. Yeah, nothing's easy now. They go to Melbourne and play Melbourne in mm. Melbourne this week. Probably not much harder task in basketball apart from Sydney, but it's there for them. I, I think they can grab that fourth spot. And if you asked me two or three weeks ago, I probably would have said no, it was out of that reach, but. Yeah, I think the Phoenix are vulnerable. They've got a lot of games on the road over the next uh, month and a half because of the Australian Open. I think Brisbane are are shaky. Um, So, yeah, I think it's all ahead for the 36ers. I'm looking forward to see what the next couple of weeks uh, put, put forth. You touched on it then. I want to get a, a bit more of your thoughts on the changes Joey's made to the starting five. Um Bringing Brendan Tees and Obi Obi Che into the starting five, I think, has added some diversity to that starting group. And suddenly, there's some real, real defensive presence there. Some guys that you know, with Obi who crashes the glass, and then Teasy who just is up and up and at the, the the guards bringing the ball up the floor. And I don't think you needed five guys that could score in that starting group. You've got DJ, you've got Randall, and you've got Drimmick there already. But then all of a sudden. When you go to the bench, you've got Herrick Griffin, who is playing some really strong basketball. Now, he's not playing a lot of minutes, but he's he's really efficient with every, everything he's doing. And Ramon Moore coming off the bench as well. It gives the bench a real, real punch. But the starting group's now well-balanced too because they, they weren't having trouble scoring. It was stopping the, the opposition scoring. So now I think with the group, that the way Joey's got the group coming together now, I think it's almost the perfect mix. You have to impact off the bench. I mean, the... the I've always been a believer of that. Uh, yeah, you get someone, especially someone that's, uh, you know, offensively minded and can do some stuff and comes into the game. Halfway through that first quarter, you know, a little bit of the punch gone out of the game. You know, you come in then, you can make a real impact on the game. And, and I think, you know, whether it's a Brendan Tease or Obi Shea or Daniel Dillon, I, I don't mind... You know, that, that guy that comes in that starting lineup. Um, I don't like to use the word token starter, mm. but in in a way, a guy that, you know, like can just come in and do his thing in their first, you know, those first few minutes. Because then the guys who are scorers know they have to be scorers. You've got a guy that's going to be reliable, and then you've got someone coming off the bench that's going to come in and really be able to go to work. I, I think Joey's... Um, you know, as coaches, yeah, everyone's a little bit nervous about changing things, mm. but Joey's never been afraid to do different things. And I think, you know, certainly in the last couple of weeks, that's worked really well for him. And just touching on that game in Perth on Sunday in a bit more detail, DJ was fantastic, 29 points and 17 rebounds. That that, that speaks volumes about the way, how well he played. Jerome Randall, I wanted to get your thoughts on. 
He was good offensively, 20 points, had eight assists, so you can't fault what he did offensively. But at the defensive end, he's a guy that's been criticised for his defence for a lot of his career. But the job that he did and the way he locked in on Bryce Cotton, I thought was fantastic. And, and I, I think you're 100% right. I think that's one of the really big changes this year. I mean, I've seen him defend here the last time he was in Adelaide and and I use that word loosely and you know didn't do a lot of great things and, mm. and at, his, at his size you know at times he's a liability on defense but this year you know from what I've seen like he's he's bought into the system yeah he's quick as hell like he's he's kept you know some really really good players in front of him and I, I think he needs to be commended on what he's been able to do defensively and uh I, I think it actually goes a long way to, to where they go when they win games. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, he's he's not scoring the way he has to. He's always a danger when he's on the court. But if he can do that at both ends of the court, well, to me, he becomes one of the very, very best players in the competition. And uh, I think he, I don't think he's getting enough accolades mm. for what he's doing defensively at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And I think the eight assists as well says a lot for the fact that he's now willing to bring other players into the game. And then you've got plenty of guys around him that are willing to score. You have a look at the bench and, and Ramon Moore put up 12 points, Eric Griffin 10, Daniel Dillon 8, and Harry Froling 6. When you're getting that much production, you don't need Jerome to be taking 25 shots a night and scoring 25 points because there's enough other guys out there that he can he can now set up. Yeah, to, to be successful in this league, you need con- contributors. You need, yeah. uh, you, you need to not know necessarily where it's coming from and uh, I mean you know you look back over championship years and you know they're the teams that have depth you know they're the teams that you know you're obviously going to have your stars and the guys that put points on the board but uh, when you can get those cameos and, and you know those those days when you have 12 or 14 points from someone that's not expected uh, they can go a, lot, a long way to winning games for you and I think I think the Sixers have that I think at the moment I think they've got uh, they got it right they've got you know they've got guys Guys playing well at the right time early in the year. They weren't getting a lot of contribution out of some of those bench players. But, uh, look, let's hope they can continue that uh, over the next few weeks. Not sure if you've had much of a chance to spend time with this playing group, but you, you, you'd get a sense of it from how close you are still. And just from, from myself spending some time with the guys and talking to, to some of them, this seems like a really tight-knit group. They seem very close. They seem to get along really well together on and off the court, how much does that help when you're trying to, oh, to win games? It's an imperative. I mean, mm. I think that's a, and I think that's a staple of uh, Jerry Wright's teams. I think they've got guys that they're tight. They they play well together. They play, you know, they they play well for him. I, I think that's, you know, I think that's that's an incredibly important thing, and you know, for a team to get, and it, it doesn't happen all that often, mm. you know. Like, but uh, you know, these guys seem to, you know, from the outside looking in. Yeah, you know, they they play hard for him, and I think that's the staple of his teams is is they they play hard for him. And uh, yeah, I think the thing with Joey is he doesn't play favourites. You know, mm-hmm. I mean he'll yeah he'll he'll get on the best player in the team as well yeah you know, the same level as do the worst player in the team. So you know where you stand from him. He, his standards are high, what he demands, and. Uh, um, yeah, look, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, he's had a long, successful NBL coaching career. And, uh, yeah, once again, I, I love where this team is poised at the moment. Um, it's a really, really important few weeks as to which direction they head, and hopefully it's in the right direction. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, 
just quickly, some of the other results from from last week across the league. I'll run through the results and 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 you can see what what's stood out to you. Um, firstly, on Friday night, Cairns Taipans bit of a surprise beating Melbourne United ninety three to eighty six. Melbourne's six game winning streak coming to an end. Second time they've lost up in Cairns this season. Then the New Zealand Breakers they they snapped their losing run, beating the Illawarra Hawks ninety one to seventy nine. Even though Lamelo Ball had a had a second straight. Triple double, and then we had South East Melbourne Phoenix winning their first ever game away from Melbourne. Too good for the struggling Bullets, one hundred ten to ninety five. And then the Sydney Kings they continued to roll, handed Melbourne United a second loss of the weekend, and you know one hundred eleven to one hundred one. And the Kings probably probably dominated dominated that game more than than that that scoreline suggested. Um, plenty happening across the league at the moment, Scott. What what stood out stood out to you from from the weekend's action? Oh, it's just, it's just a great competition mm. at the moment. It's just, it's so exciting. I, I, I saw the Brisbane Lucian of the Phoenix and Brisbane were doing easy for parts of that game. Mm. And then, uh, you know, they yeah, the run that the Phoenix went on was uh, unbelievable. I guess that's the beauty of our game. Momentum can change so quickly. And, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, you see what Lamelo Ball's doing. They're here uh, this month. The game's heading towards a sellout. Um yeah, he's now been projected as the number one pick in uh, in the next draft in the NBA draft, and and RJ Hamburg projected as fifth. I mean, it's just you know, it's a great time in Australian basketball. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's say uh, Lamelo Ball gets drafted number one next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a what a great thing for Australian basketball. You know, yeah. it just shows you that this league is legit. You know, all of a sudden it becomes a you know, a target destination for these kids coming out of high school. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm very excited what's happening at the moment. The results are awesome because who can pick anything at the moment? Yeah. You know, Adelaide going into Perth and being 27 points up at various stages of the game. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could have got any money on that mm. at all. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's great to see and, uh, uh, yeah, all goes really well for the future of the league. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep moving because we've got a, a very special guest, a man that, as he will talk about, he spent 17 seasons in the NBL. He made the playoffs, 16 of them. He made six grand finals. He won four championships, 508 games in total. Um, he might not call himself it, but he's, he's definitely an NBL great. And Paul Reese is somebody that I think all of our all of our listeners will enjoy hearing you catch up with, Scott. Yeah, looking forward to the big fella. He's uh, look, he's a cult figure in Adelaide. He's uh, he's he has a great story to tell. Um, an intelligent man, uh, great basketballer, and a fantastic teammate. Let's get to it. Okay, Scott. Very honoured to have our special guest on now for for this week. The great thing about doing this show with you is giving you the chance to catch up with some of your former teammates and very few better men than the man we're about to talk to. He's a, a four-time NBL championship winner, three of those with the 36ers. He played 508 games in the NBL, 262 of those with with the Sixers. So he's a, he's a great of the club. He still lives in Adelaide. You still catch up with him on a regular basis. But now that's give all our listeners a bit of an insight into what it's like when you do catch up with him. So Paul Reese, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Chris. Um, yeah, no, looking forward to reliving a few old memories and uh, whatever else comes in the next little while. Now, before I hand you over to, to Scott and we let our listeners just have a listen to you two catch up, what went through your mind earlier this season when you found out that Scott would be starting up his own 36s podcast? <laughs> oh, 
not much. <laughs> um, I look good on Ninny for having a crack. He must have too much time on his hands. So it was uh, what I thought. And I, um, I've signed up to the podcast and uh, I've listened to probably 15 minutes of uh, Rupert Sapwell, who was uh, quite studious in his answers, I thought. Yeah, big, big fella. Let, let's just get the pleasantries out of the way with first. Um, as you know, we do a lot of research here at Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. I looked up your Wikipedia page today. And the first paragraph said, Paul Rees was known for his presence under the basket, and while not blessed with a great jumping ability, he was able to use his physical size to his advantage and was considered to be a strong rebounder. Now... That's a bit harsh, isn't it? No, I think I think it's fairly accurate. You know, <laughs> I, I like to, I like to think that I uh, use my physical prowess to the best of its ability, and um, and I like my lack of jumping ability at times. I think has led to the fact that amongst my peers, I haven't had to have a knee or hip replaced because I like to think <laughs> I never ran that fast and I never jumped that high. So yeah, big- the wear and tear isn't too great. Now, big fella, let's pump you up initially What before we get into the nitty-gritty. Uh, 508 yep. NBL games, uh, yep. four-time NBL championship, 94, uh, we don't want to talk about that one too much, 1998, yep. 98, 99 and 2002, grand final yep. MVP in 1994. Uh, once yep. again, a little bit, uh, that hurts a little bit here at 36 Alain. Uh, you played for the Boomers in 1994 in the World Championship. It would be fair yep. to say you, you are one of the most successful players in your history, wouldn't it be? Um, well, it depends how you measure success, I suppose. But um, with championships, uh, I haven't kept too much pace because people like David Stiff, who, to be fair, is, I count as a good friend, um, ended up winning about six or something. I reckon Dave did with about four on the trot. So, um, but yeah, four is a pretty good number. And um, yeah, I like to think most of the teams that I was involved in uh, were fairly successful across the journey. And there was only once that we didn't, um, you know, make a final series. So in about 17 seasons. So no, I, I enjoyed my time and uh, thought I, I, I brought something to the teams I played with around, around the club and uh, on the court. I certainly didn't think we were there to make friends, you know, with the <laughs> opposition. And uh, I felt we were played, paid to win as opposed to paid to play. So, um, so yeah, no, it was good fun, and I loved it. So. I've, had, I've had, had a little bit. I'll, I'll peel off some names for you: Derek Rucker, Leroy Loggins, Andre Moore, Darren McDonald, Larry Singstock, Daryl Pierce, Brett Maher, Daniel Mee, Martin Catalani, Mark Davis, Kevin Brooks, Willie Farley, and so on and so on. I mean, you played with all these guys. You played with some of the all-time greats. Absolute all-time yeah. race in NBA history. Is there, you know, can you give us oh. one or two of those guys? That uh, Wow. Is, um, is there a best player amongst them that you played with? I mean, no, that's a difficult You didn't even mention Scott Ninnis. Oh, oh and God. Scott Ninnis. Well, sorry. Jesus, it's my own <laughs> bloody uh, podcast, isn't it? But, uh, it is it is Ninnis. So, um, <laughs> so, yes. No, I, uh, I don't want to burn anyone, but you're right. I, I played with some great players, and I, I played with some great players who were Americans that have ended up staying here, you know, I reckon, which is a great reflection on, you know, Australia and, you know, where they saw a good place in the world to live. And I think uh, Australians should be very pleased to live in a great country like we do. But um, I just, I was privileged that first year in the NBL, um, I played with uh, Andre Moore, Derek Rucker, 
and um, Leroy Loggins. And two years beforehand, I'd gone on a uh, tour with the Brisbane Bullets. And, you know, one of the great sports for the young guys on that team was to try and get in a photo with Leroy Loggins. And then, you know, <laughs> a year a year or so later, you're on the team all the time rather just on a on a tryout tour. So, um, yeah, no, he, he was incredible. And from what I gather, taught himself to shoot threes as a mature person, having initially not grown up in an area where there was a three-point line. So I, I think it gives great hope to anyone that if they set their mind to it and practice a lot, even as a you know a later developing player, you can uh, you can improve skills. Is that he, might have been is, there as a teenager. Is he the best player you ever played with, Big Fella? Do you think? Oh, I, I think it'd be unfair to. I, I think I think everyone gets caught up talking about the best player here, there, everywhere. I mean. Because you only see people at their best in a snapshot of maybe four or five years, and then they're sure. sort of on the improve or on the wane, but not at their very best. And and there was plenty that I played with that were great at their very best. I mean, uh, and we didn't always see them at their very best, like KB, Kevin Brooks, who we you know as thirty six is still involved with the club, probably wasn't at his best by the time he got here, having been in the NBA for however long, you know, but he was bloody good. So, uh, and like Derek Rucker, you know, he was a pocket rocket. And I think that's what the early 90s and um, really had was just they were real names and entertaining players to come and watch. You know, Andre Moore. Yeah, that first year, first year in the league, we go to the grand final and lose it in three to Perth. A player that was a development player over in Adelaide back in the late 80s was on the team, uh, Spider Adams. I remember walking down Hay Street or whatever it is over in Perth going, well, this is what we do, isn't it? Play NBL and we playing grand finals. <laughs> How cool is this? You know, so, um, and, you know, it was, it was a great start and uh, a great competitive bunch of players. And that's what I like to think I was involved with all the way through. Even going back to Brisbane, you know, in 2004, you know, they went from last to we, you know, we got knocked out in the semifinals. So, um, yeah, no, it's been a good journey. Now, I have to touch on this, big fella. 1994, North Melbourne Giants. Yep. beat They beat us, the 36ers, in a, in a series that we absolutely went in, absolutely overconfident. <laughs> I've got to say, Nitty, I've got to say, you were the only person I know who felt you went in favourites. No, no, mate. I guarantee you, Rob Rose and I both, we all thought we were going to go favourites. Now, you have Was that after to- one or four bottles of red? Well, that I was—I wasn't even drinking red then. That was the problem, big fella. So you, yep. you averaged eighteen point five points per game over those brief two games. Ended up yep. getting MVP of the final. Now, you know, back then betting probably wasn't as what it is now. But if you could have had odds on Paul Reese winning the MVP of that final series, now that's uh, once again it still hurts. But uh, yep. tell, tell us about that time and that scene with you know Brett Bounder's coach and and all those great veterans like Daryl Pierce and Larry Sengstock yep. and D Mac obviously at the point. Yeah, I mean that was D Mac's first year in the NBL, and bloody all I had to do really was keep my hands close to my face and move <laughs> without the ball. 
and uh, he had a way of just slicing through keyways and, and finding you so, uh, and drawing a crowd. So uh, it was unreal to play with him. You know, Paul Maley was an athletic American at that point as well. It was very competitive. We had Mark Leader, who was an aging player. Daryl Pierce, who was a, you know, one of the best shooters I think the country's seen. Um, you know, a young Rod Johnson. Um, now Daryl Pierce gave me some good advice. Well, it wasn't good advice. It was advice I really didn't care for, to be fair. Um, we were shooting around at the old Albert Park and um, and uh, getting through our work. And I think the family's in the background there, Ninny. So yes, uh, that well had Galaz in the background. You got that, the kids. That was Chloe. Just wanted to say hello and uh, back to bed, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I finished the shooting session with Daryl, and I'm like, I wasn't the greatest shooter, to be fair. Uh, I had my moments. Um, and I big fella, I, big fella. Just to sorry to interrupt you. Thirty-one uh, percent three-point shooter in your career. Nineteen from sixty-one. Well, but that's not that's not terrible. <laughs> As Andrew Gaze would say, I obviously didn't take enough. <laughs> but I shot with Daryl Pierce this day, and I remember as clear as day, the old Albert Park, and after the, after shooting, I've gone up to him, and his nickname was Ice. And I said, Ice, you're, you're one of the best shooters in the country scene. Can you give me any tips? You know, do you aim for the back of the ring? Do you breathe out as you shoot? You know, what, what have you got for me? And he goes, well, Reesey. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to go out after school and I would shoot for hours. And I was like, God damn it, Ice, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted a <laughs> shortcut to success. God damn it. But, uh, yeah, I guess whoever's listening can take that on board too. There is no shortcut for success. But, yeah, um, yeah no, it was a great team. And uh, and it, I think it... You talk about the odds. I don't. I don't know. I don't think too many people would have assembled that team and given it a great chance. But I thought going into that grand final series, we were a good chance because Mark Davis was under an injury cloud, and I thought that's where you know, uh, in my position with myself and Larry and, and Paul Maley and John Steltzer and um, Pat Reedy, you know, there you go. There's another name that played for Australia um, on that team that. Yeah, I thought we might have had the edge up there in that, in that size department we was put under a cloud. Yeah, so, big fella, big fella. We did test him, to be fair. It wasn't very <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, that, leads, that leads me to my next question, big fella. Your, your, yeah. your um, career wasn't without some controversy, and I want to just bring yep. up a couple of incidents over the journey. Um, yep. Brian Gorgian. Big fan yep. of yours. Uh, there was an incident at the, well, I guess it was Eclipse Powerhouse at that time during a game when he was talking to the referees. You decided yep. you'd walk up to see him. I reckon, and- I reckon no, I've, uh, I've set the only legitimate screen on an opposition <laughs> coach in the history of the league to this day. So he's another player who's dropped the opposition coach at any point in the game. So, so. he fa- he tripped over you. I was right there. I ended up not that either we die. I ended up walking in between you. Give it. Give us a little wrap up of that incident. Well, to be okay. So I think they had a pretty good first half. In fact, we may have been down at half time. And um, I, I don't know. I, I can sometimes get a bit tired and emotional. 
and um, <laughs> oxygen deprived. So, and I, I historically, historically feel a great deal of remorse later. But anyway, uh, I'm walking off. The teams are walking off, and I look over, and Brian Gorgian, I think um, Mel Cooper, it might have been the referee. Yeah, just drawing and just as they're walking off, and Brian's just in his ear, and I'm like, "Well, this is crap. What a good run they've had!" And he's in his ear, you know, trying to, you know, I would suggest um, maneuver the referees to, you know, to the second half as well. So I thought I'm going to go over and have a bloody word here too, because I think we need to be represented <laughs> in this conversation as a 36er. And as I was about to get there, I've gone. Mm, I don't know what I was thinking, but I've gone. You know what? I'm just going to stand here and hold my ground because I don't think these guys know I'm here. And then next thing you know, Gorgeous hit me, and yeah, wasn't aware of it. Drops to the floor and then jumps up. And the, I've got to say, at that point, the place is going a little bit cray cray, as they say, and he's going bananas and and I just looked at him and in my mind I've pictured Montgomery Burns from the Simpsons and I've gone let's let's get it on then if you want you know um, but I think yeah whether it was you or yeah we all seemed to just drift away after that and he went into the change room screaming and flailing his arms around and I was like oh okay anyway so yeah no I thought that was a good outcome good moment now, now a unique much- moment a much and more, I, I, uh, I like him. He ended up being an incredibly successful coach, to be fair. So, um, yeah. and I caught up with him in Melbourne when he was back from China. I don't know, in June. He was at uh, some junior stuff that I was at over in Melbourne, uh, Queen's birthday, and it was great to talk to him. To be did fair, you trip, did you trip him up then as well? Or? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> but, uh, but he actually tells a pretty good story. So he's, he's good to listen to. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, but, I'm but, not, you know. A more serious incident from your yep. point of view, one of his former players, Jason Smith, uh, yep. knocked out one of your teeth. Now, uh, a yeah. good friend of both of ours, uh, young Brett Maher, wanted yep. me to ask you about that incident and what you said when that happened. Tell us about how, how that all eventually Well, it came anyway. about off the ball, to be honest with you. Um, it was a foul call. He had he had the ball on the three-point line. Someone fouled him. And he, he was going, you know, went powering into the basket to – he was clearly going to dunk it and make a statement. And I was like, I'm not having that. So I sort of just <laughs> jumped up in front of him a little bit. And he, uh, he swung his elbow around and knocked my two front teeth out. So – it was unfortunate that I didn't have a mouth guard in that might have helped because six weeks earlier at Christmas, Jamie Perlman had knocked my front teeth out as well with my mouth guard in, which was kind of interesting because um, interesting in a funny sort of a way, not ha-ha, but I'm, at half time, everyone's looking for my front teeth to see if they can be found to be, you know, maybe, you know, put back on. <laughs> and I actually had both my front teeth in my friggin' mouth guard. You know, it was, only, it was a lot to see people, you know, on their hands and knees <laughs> trying to help out. But um, and then I thought, well, I haven't taken a good shot in the chops in bloody ten, twelve years. So I'll be retired before I get another good shot in the chops. And lo and behold, six weeks later, Jason Smith, bloody, you know, <laughs> took the opportunity and uh, cleaned me up. And um, so I say to kids now, get a mouth guard, play with a mouth guard. You know, because you don't want to sit in a dentist chair. I once sat in our change rooms at the Sixers and I looked around and I reckon I counted nine people out of the 13 in the room that either had uh, a black front tooth, a fake front tooth, or a chip front tooth. Um, and you just sit there and you go, if you play it long enough, you're probably going to get a few good shots in the chops. So wear a mouth guard. 
Now, spe- so. speaking speaking of good shots, uh, Brad Davison. Oh, you, you, you're going with the top five, aren't you? <laughs> you know, what are you saving for later? There was <laughs> there was a little incident where you accidentally jumped on his back when he was lying on the ground. Let, let, let's talk about that. Let's get that in, out, over and done with. In the in the end, it was accidentally. When I left the ground in my mind, I thought I'm going to jump on his back, but and then I. I had a chariots of fire moment for for those who have or haven't watched the watched the movie Chariots of Fire. In the movie Chariots of Fire, the theme song is played and they're running, but they're running in slow motion, and that's how it went in my mind. What happened with Brad? So something happened. He stole the ball, knocked it loose. I chased after it. He chased after it. He ended up on the ground, and I and I was running after it, and a bit ungainly, and I was sort of uh, and I jumped in the air. And I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on Brad basically, and um, and then when I was in the air having this chariots of fire moment, I went I might really hurt him. Oh, I should try and miss him. And then I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing that I had had the time to then go, but you might roll your ankle. So just try and land as softly as you can in the centre of his back because that'll be the most stable part. And um, and uh, so this and is all happening. I tried to land as softly as I could in the end, but it's, you know, it's only I guess physics say that you know 115 plus kilos just lands how it lands, and there is no such thing as softly. And I tried to jump off him as quick as I could, and uh, and again to quote Mick Malloy, it then went cocoa bananas again in Townsville. So. Um, yeah, Rob Rose sure, in the grill. It was just yeah. I'm sure Brad. I'm sure Brad would be very happy to hear that you're trying to land on him softly with your 115 <laughs> kilos. <laughs> I've talked to him many times, and he, he reckons that's one of the most talked about things people come up to him and talk to him about. How's your back going when Rishi surfed on you? <laughs> now, I, but, I feel terrible about that, and uh, was it wasn't a real great moment for me. And to be fair, I saw a Brad Davidson highlight on um, the internet one time, and they had that incident in there and <laughs> everything I've just said doesn't seem to ring true but that's how I felt it happened but when I watched the incident on TV I nearly tripped over him not landed on him that's how high I jumped <laughs> big big oh. fella uh, you, you've been known to being uh, maybe a little thrifty over over the journey and it, I'm sure yep. you won't remember this but when you came from North Melbourne and the 36ers were looking to recruit you you actually rang me and just to ask about the 36ers and what the what the culture was like. But the first yep. question you asked me was, do they pay on time? That was the first question <laughs> you asked Stop me. Stop it. I, I reckon you're making that up. No, I'm not making <laughs> that up. And now I've had... Uh, I've uh, sourced out a couple of uh, the Sapples and the, and the Mars of this world, and uh, there's been talk of after, during the warm-ups going back in the change room to check your wallet, make sure no yeah. one's stolen anything from it, keep a, a muesli bar in your sock so you got a little snack whenever you need it, uh, um, pa- patrol, yeah. patrolling the streets for hard rubbish. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, did, I did bring home a screen door from hard rubbish one time. <laughs> Resting on the roof racks of the club car, you know, and I, I did it at eleven o'clock at night. So no, and I drove really slowly. So, and Darcy's first bike, I think, was from from the side of the road too. But it wasn't hard rubbish week when I grabbed that. No, buddy, joking. Oh dear. Now we yeah. big. They're big fella. Let's get the nitty gritty. We had some, uh, you know, that those teams we had in 98, 99, we're yep. talking about, yeah, you know, some 
all-time NBL players, the Mars, the Mees, the Brooks, the Davises, yep. uh, yourself, Sapwells, Davis, uh, yeah, like so on and so on. But what, I, what just... I'd say there, and you'll finish that, but I'll interrupt. They're all adults. Do you yep. know what I mean? Yep. The only kid amongst us was Dean Brogan, who was fairly athletic and went on to a great footy career. But everybody else you talked about, they're 25, 24 years old and up. Yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not sure everyone gets that right and appreciates that these days. You know, we, we won it based on immediate ability right there, not potential. Yeah. So, but yeah. No, anyway, continue. But, Sorry. But we also, <laughs> we also had some interesting questions, uh, interesting conversation. I remember one time uh, we talked about if we were all stranded on a desert island, and the food and yep. the water ran out. Who would you eat first? Now, See, that was the nineteen ninety nine team with Potsy or Paul Bauer in the team. Paul Bauer, and so yep. so so this Brett Mars got me to ask this question: Who would you eat yep. first, and why? Yep. And who wouldn't you, on various reasons? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those that are listening. Yeah, when you when you yeah when you're playing basketball or any probably sport, there's a lot of downtime, which is what I think a lot of people miss years later is just the fact that you you don't get to hang around with your with your mates typically and just chew the fat and enjoy each other's company. So um, when you're in the real world, you know there's work to be done all the time. You're there pretty much. Um, whereas it, with uh, sport, yeah, there's work to be done when you're training and when you're playing. In between time, there's a, there's a lot of lot of gaps, but yeah. So we we did that whole scenario, and I remember it as being on a on a on a boat after a shipwreck. But there's an island works, and um, Paul Bow was in the gun because I obviously took it a little bit too seriously because my rationale I think was very sound. He would have rivaled me for skinfold, um, <laughs> and he was young, and he was little, and you sort of go you 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 look at you look at nature. And I reckon that's the recipe for what the lions are looking for when they're stalking herds. Young, little, eh, you know, little, little you plump. Get, you, you don't want to get hurt when, you, when you're catching tea. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Prinsky would have been the last, you know. <laughs> he would have eaten me before I got to eat him. But uh, Potsy would have been first. And I got uh, to say, Potsy didn't think it was a particularly funny topic no, at all. Funny enough, because for he many years get, later, he was going to get first. Uh, <laughs> big fella, I just I will finish you up. I want to I want to throw out some names of of uh, players and coaches in the NBL, and just get like a you know just a quick summation of your thoughts on them. So uh, let let's start with Rupert Sapple. Yep. Um, yeah. No, I. I Loved playing with Sapper. Um, I'd known him for a long time, but only from afar. And he sat two chairs to my left, and we won three championships together. So in the change room. So um, and I like the way he thinks. Um, I enjoy having theoretical discussions with Sapper about what winning looks like. And um, and he was in the paper the other day. Uh, as a, as a big chance to win a role around culture at the Crows. And I, I'd like to think he'll do a great job if he's successful in, uh, in, in winning that job. So, um, because he has been around success, he knows what success looks like. And I, 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 you've got to, you've got to take what you do seriously up until a point, but you've got to continue to have fun doing it because it isn't like a normal job. 
there's an X factor in having success that, you know, comes from people going that, you know, doing the one percenters and doing it for each other and sacrificing a little bit to get great success. And um, and you've still got to make it fun, which you'll probably, I'm not sure if you're going to ask me about Phil, but is what I think Phil did a great job over the probably seven or eight years that I played with him and Steve Breeny. Um, they kept it fun. We never ran a punishment drill in how many seasons was it? Seven seasons and won three championships. So, you know, I, I think um, coaches jump to that to fill in time because they can't think of anything intelligent to say or do sometimes. Oh, get on the line. Uh, I don't know. Do you want people to be here because they want to be here or do you want people to be here just because they're being paid to be here? And uh, maybe sometimes that's the difference between a great team culture and blokes who get on fairly well. But um, Potsy and I came up with a saying, and Potsy came up with this one. He said, you know what? There's nothing I won't do for Reese. He won't do nothing for me, and I won't do nothing for him. <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that and take it for the rest of my life. So, and uh, sometimes you get teams like that. Um, but yeah, so Sapper, yeah, I think he's great. I love catching yeah. up with him. He's yeah, just... Kevin Brooks. I think we yep. all had it in our own mind. We were gonna, we thought well, they were gonna send his fat ass home after two weeks of yep. arriving in Adelaide, weren't we? Uh, he, yeah, he had a he had an ungainly shot, and um, and yeah, <laughs> but oh my god, he's he's a great guy, and I like most of the guys I've ever played with. So you're not going to get too much out of controversy. It's just a shame I can't talk to every one of them, you know, <laughs> rather than just talk about them, but catch up with them. So I love catching up with past players and that I've played basketball with, and you know, whether whoever they are, wherever they are. So, but yeah, KB, no one thought he'd last. I reckon Cat tells a story that uh, he told you, don't lend KB any money because I don't think he'll get it back because he'll be gone before he has a chance to repay it. <laughs> well, there, well, there's another one. Martin Catalini. Yep. Class clown. <laughs> he is a unique individual. Incredibly competitive, you know, and a little bit athletic and no conscience when it comes to taking a shot. And oh, no doubt you about that. Don't, don't waste time, bloody... Whereas DMAC, you had to keep your hands up in case for when he passed it to you. Cat, you just ran for offensive rebound because he'd have three or four people hanging all over him and the shot's still going up. So it gives, if you, if you know what your teammates are going to do, it gives you that little bit extra time to anticipate and move to where you need to move. And that's where, as long as people are consistent, you can, you can know that and read that and take advantage of it. And that's where, you know, if the ball gets flung in the offense to a guy who's supposed to shoot it, if he's not feeling it, sometimes you just got to shoot it because that's what everyone expects you to do. Even if you've had a bad day and you don't think it's going right, that's what you do. That's what that shot needs to come from. Because everyone's anticipating you shooting it and the guys who offensive rebound are anticipating you missing it and cheering you when you make it because they don't have to do anything. But if they do, if you do miss, they're a good chance to get a rebound. Big fellow, I mean, won't hold out for much longer. But I mean, yep. what's your ta- what's your take on the game 
now. Um, you know, the 36 is now, I guess, the, the yep. NBL now with the, you I know, love it. the LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton. Uh, the NBL's heading in the right direction, oh, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think it was in the doldrums for a while there. And I, and I don't blame you for your coaching style when you coach Nenny, but. There's no, you know. there's no need for that, big fella. <laughs> it is your show, so I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love it, and I really love that team that the Sixers put together and um, didn't quite win it, you know? That was a great team, and, and but a little bit of luck, they'd have won it two years ago. Yep. Childress and, and the crew that they had together. Um, Joey's, you know, seems to have turned the corner again this season with the guys. He has a knack where you go, oh, these guys, I, I think in the Major League, the movie, and the guy sitting in the stands going, oh, these guys are terrible. And then he, they have a crisis moment and they get together and they come out and they look like they're all on the same page. And, yeah, I'm hoping that they've turned the corner again this year now. And Joey's had a knack of doing it every year, to be fair, to varying degrees of success. But, gee, they were unlucky two years ago. And I... I didn't mind that, you know, the 36ers wandered in the wilderness for a while after I'd finished, you know. But I think it's time for people to stop rolling out the 1998-99-2002 but, um, and they get another championship. And I thought it was, uh, yeah, they were just incredibly unlucky with some injuries and some calls, I think, two years ago. And um, But I think it does highlight how hard it is to win it. And how cool it was that we were part of three championships in five years. Oh, I think so. you're right, big fella. Yeah, I mean, you talk about you and Spider Adams going to that ground, and Spider's a great mate of mine as well, as you know. You know, my yep. first my first year was 1986 with the the Invincibles, 24 and two, win a championship. You just think it's going to happen every year. So I think you never take success for granted. It's just, uh, you know, something. If it comes to you, it's a very special moment, isn't it? Yeah, no, it absolutely is, and uh, we, we, you know, we all contributed to that success, and um, and uh, yeah, it, it was great to be a part of, and you look back and go, how cool was that, you know? And I mean, the stories from it, you know, no one would know that that first year, 1998, I only got to play one year with John Rilly, and I, I never liked him from afar, <laughs> but I loved him after a year. But he and he and I and Marzi and Sapper would play 500. Every chance we got. Yep. Now the only disappointing part about that was I was I partnered up with Marzi, and he had he was a bit like he his card game was like Cat's basketball game. He didn't know when to when to just you know hold. <laughs> He'd go oh. For those who know how to play five hundred, great game. And for those who don't, Google it and the bloody check it out. Um, and Marzi would go oh eight hearts, like, and we'd lose. And I go, how did you come up with eight? And he goes, I had four. I assumed you had bloody two, and I assumed there was two in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, all the uh, card players up out there, we just lost them. <laughs> uh, big fella, man. It's been, it's been a pleasure. We've been trying to get hold of you for a few weeks now. And uh, look, you, you, you're you a cult figure in, well, not just Adelaide basketball, but as I said, you, you're one of the most successful basketballs in NBA history. And uh, yeah, you should be proud of that. And thank you very much for coming on Sixers Fix with uh, myself and Chris Pike. Uh, it was great to catch up with you boys. And I, I don't mind, um, you know, stepping back in time a little bit because it was great fun. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to. Now share a few memories there. Very quickly, Paul, just before we let you go. Um, believe it or not, Scott doesn't actually spend a whole lot of time 
talking his own playing career up too much. He was a, he was a great oh. player in his own right. What was he like, firstly, to play against and then to yep. have it as a teammate for a long time? Um, I'd listen, I, I, I think Body Nudge summed it up best my first year in Adelaide in 1998. Early on, when we didn't know we were going to be successful, um, he, I'm pretty sure he wrote in the paper that Scotty and, and John really couldn't guard a lock safe with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, body would never uh, be that ruthless, would he? But I, love, I thought, God, that was funny. Um, I mean, he, he was a was a smooth operator. He was quick. You know, he had this sort of runner before its time almost. Um, these days, they talk about getting getting close to the paint and just a half shot, not a not a proper jump shot or anything. And then he, then he had that going. Yeah, you know, and he was a competitor, and but he had some speed about him. So and um, yeah, just a terrific teammate as well. So no, taking no. yourself too seriously off the court, and that's what you need. There's enough users on the court. I've so. used up all my speed now, big fella. There's none left. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. <laughs> I'm sure we could keep going all night, guys. But we better we better let Paul go because he's got to he's got to get to bed. He's over in Newcastle at the moment as we record this, but. Thanks very much for joining right, us, Paul, and hopefully we catch up again soon. Hopefully. Farewell. Okay, Scott. Well, welcome back here to Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis and terrific chat with, with Paul Reese there. I think the great thing about this show that we're doing is allowing people the chance to listen to you catch up with some old old mates and it's like just sitting back and, and hear, hearing you two sit down over a, a glass of red and it's it's a fascinating for me and hopefully all, all of our listeners enjoyed it. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have Paul back on again on the show because there was plenty that we probably didn't get to cover cover this week but it was fantastic to hear and hopefully you're enjoying it too, Scott. Um, but let's keep moving because we've got a huge weekend of, of basketball to look forward to. Unfortunately, the 36ers are still not back home in Adelaide, but it's a massive trip to Melbourne to play Melbourne United on on Saturday. Two old foes. We heard we heard you and Paul talking about it there about the grand final from two seasons ago, which which could have gone gone either way and probably the home court advantage decided that in the end. But yeah, Melbourne now on a two game losing streak. Adelaide head over on a two game winning streak. Chris Golding playing his three hundredth game in the NBL. This has all the hallmarks of a of a cracking game. Yeah, I'm not so sure, Chris. Uh, the Stars, I don't think, are aligning for the 36ers this week. <laughs> two-game winning streak. They're on a two-game losing streak. Mm. Golding, one of the great players in the in the league, 300 games. Uh, I just think that it's going to be this this one is going to be too tough for the 36ers. I hope I hope I'm proven wrong. Yeah. But uh, you know, Melbourne on their home court, uh, you'd have to give the chocolates to them. Uh, yeah, reasonably comfortably. But once again, I hope I'm wrong. It does. It does have that feeling about it, doesn't it? It feels like the worst possible time to be playing Melbourne. They they're stung from those two losses on the road last weekend. Milestone game for their captain. It, yeah, I mean, that, let's hope it doesn't go that way. But if you're going to play Melbourne, it feels like it's the worst possible time to get them. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, they're a great team. They're going to make the finals. They're going to probably be top two. They're obviously going to win more games than they lost. But yeah, this thirty-six a team. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny beast. I mean, they. You know they've got some confidence about them. They, uh, you know, they won't go in there with any fear at all, which which is a really important thing. I think uh, you, you know sometimes you go into a venue where you know it's going to be tough, and you know you're going to have to play your very best basketball to to win it. I, d- I don't think this team has that sort of fear. I think they they go in going well, you know, 
who are they? <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're going to go out there and play our best, and we're not going to, you know, take shit from ever, anyone. And yeah. So I think that augurs well. But yeah, I just think it's probably going to be a really tough ask for them this weekend. It does look like it, but on a on a positive side, if they are able to get a win over there on Saturday, what could it do for this team? How much belief do you would you potentially take from getting a win like this against seemingly all the odds? I'd suggest that they can beat Melbourne and Melbourne this week. They'll make the four. I think it's that cool. important a game for them. I think they can, uh, all of a sudden, you're four or five. You know, you've got some home games coming up. This belief, you know, that they have this young team, well, for the most part, uh, well, sorry, they have some young players that, yeah. you know, are going to be full of confidence and think they're invincible. I, I think they win this game. Potentially, they go into, you know, that New Year's with a really good record and uh, they can go on from there. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a key game in the, in the uh, season for the 36ers. Yeah, you're right. Four of the next six after after Saturday are at home, and two of those are against New Zealand. There's one against Illawarra, so there's a it's a real chance to to build some momentum. Probably win or lose this game, they're still pretty well positioned given that run that's ahead. But um, looking across the league as well, Scott, just to get your quick thoughts on the other matches, starts Friday night with a double header. Cairns Taipans hosting the New Zealand Breakers, and the Breakers still without Corey Webster and Scotty Hobson. You would think the Taipans should be too strong, but it's still a dangerous Breakers team because they've still got plenty of talent. Mate, my tips this year haven't been all that great. You would, <laughs> you, you would put all, you'd put the house on Cairns, but uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, Cairns have had some incredible wins against uh, you know, we've beaten Perth twice and Melbourne United twice, but uh, and you would think they would take care of business against the Breakers at home, but uh, who knows? You know, if uh, you know if in a two horse race, uh, Breakers are six or seven to one, uh, you'd probably put a lazy 10 bucks on them because mm. at this stage of the year, you just don't really know. And also on Friday, the Perth Wildcats looking to bounce back, but coming to Perth is the Sydney Kings with Kevin Lish back in the lineup as well. Um, this this one will be fascinating because the Wildcats have to bounce back, but the Kings look invincible. Yeah, Perth will win this game. There is okay. nothing sure of that. I mean, this is a Perth Wildcats that everybody writes off. The same things happened the last couple of years. Perth are going to miss the playoffs, this and that. Uh, Sydney are flying. They're, they're due for a loss. I'm saying this with absolutely no confidence at all what, <laughs> whatsoever, but uh, I would, uh, you know, Perth, Perth, they know how to win. You know, Sydney are not going to go through the rest of the year undefeated. There's going to be a loss somewhere in their future, and uh, I'd be really surprised if the Wildcats don't bounce back this week. I mean, mm. I, you know... You know, they don't necessarily even have to win the game, but they have to come back with a bit of a statement game and say, hey, we, we this is not who we are. We, we don't get our ass kicked at home by the LA 36ers and get beaten by Cairns at home. Um, no bigger contest than, than the Sydney Kings. I'm going for Perth. Mm-hmm. Then on Saturday night, Brisbane Bullets against the Illawarra Hawks. No Lamello ball for, for the Hawks, who's sitting out with a foot injury. Um, they have signed a second import, but without Lamello ball, it looks like it's a, a big task for, for the Hawks. Yeah, Brisbane for me, I think, uh, yeah, they, they might be the, Brisbane might be the hardest team to predict in the NBL at the yeah, moment. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's still talent there. Um, I think they still have one of the one of the smartest coaches in, in the NBL. Um, you know, regardless of what's happened with all this boomer stuff, I'd, I'd expect the uh, Brisbane to, to win that game. Then on Sunday, South East Melbourne Phoenix, they'll be fresh back home 
against the Wildcats who you'd think no, no matter how Friday night goes for them, they'll be they'll be pretty banged up after playing the Kings. Really tough one for the Wildcats. Um, you know, you've got all the old boys, you know, Damo and uh, Wagstaff and, uh, you know, some of these guys, you know, are, you know going to be tougher than their backup. Um Oh, I don't know. I think it a lot depends on the result on uh, mm. on Friday night. If that's a long, drawn out, tough game that goes to the wire, yeah, or if it's a, if it's a blowout from either direction, um, yeah. Once again, I mean, the Wildcats know how to travel. I think the Phoenix uh, do find them a little bit vulnerable at the moment, and mm. I think the Wildcats have probably got a game plan to beat them. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a tough one for them. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so too. Um, then the Kings have the same travel problem after Friday night too. They play host to the Taipans on Sunday, which could be a sneaky chance for the Taipans if the Kings are, are a bit tight. Who knows for the Taipans? I mean, they mm. they they you know going on the road doesn't clearly doesn't bother them, and you know it's it's uh, yeah it's, it's a young team. I don't think it, they fear anything. Yeah, yeah, I think they'd be looking at that game going, you know, bring it on. We're, we're going to go down there with the you know with the, I mean, there's no team at the moment that is. Completely out of it. I know Cairns and and you know one of their their records aren't great, but uh, at the moment there's still a chance for the players for anyone. So I think Cairns go into that game 100 thinking they can win. I don't think they will, but mm. uh, who knows? There might be a chance of a sneaky upset. And lastly, Monday, well Monday afternoon, Monday night, New Zealand Breakers hosting the Brisbane Bullets. It's a it's another tough one. Yeah, it is. So that's uh, mate. That that's a toss of the coin for me. I'd probably. Once again, this you get into the stage where you know you don't want to talk about season-defining weekends, but it's probably is going to be for you know Brisbane can't get too mm. much further than the hole. I think they the importance of that game for them, and you know with everything that's going on with New Zealand at the moment, um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably think Brisbane can go in there and get that. There we go. Plenty, plenty to look forward to this weekend. But all of our focus will be on on Melbourne on Saturday when the 36ers take on Melbourne United. So check that game out. Terrific show again, Scott. Fantastic to have Paul Reese on the on the show. Terrific guest and terrific to hear you getting the chance to catch up with him. Um, we'll do it all again next week. But for now, have you got some some last thoughts for our for our listeners? Oh no, just uh, you know, it's just so much fun catching up with people like. Uh, Paul Reese and, and, and the rest of the guys. We were fortunate enough, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago to, to get inducted, uh, 1998, 1999 to get inducted to the South Australian Sports Hall of Fame. We don't we don't get a chance to catch up all that often, but, you know, that night there was Mark Davis, Rupert Sapper, myself, Brett Maher, uh, Paul Bauer, uh, you know, Phil Smythe, um, it was just such a terrific night, and uh, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, we, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of success with basketball, and you know, speaking of Damien Martin a couple of weeks ago, the same thing. Uh, we're just very blessed, part of this you know incredible game of basketball, and and develop lifelong friends, and uh, you know, it's something that allows us to do this things like this and have these podcasts and uh, you know, catch up with some incredible people that have got fantastic stories and uh, have a lot of laughs.